0: What's going on and welcome into the Thursday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson, joined as always by Jim Mike Knopper of Pelicans.com. We're less than a week away now from the NBA draft, which is scheduled for November 18th. And as you have been, as you know, we've been going through picks one through now. We're up to nine and ten today. Um, we'll get to Dwayne Rankin and the Phoenix Suns at pick number ten. But we're going to start off with Fred Katz, who covers the Washington Wizards for the Athletic, and they hold pick number nine. In this year's draft, Fred, how are you? Good to talk to you.
1: I'm doing well. I'm I'm as tired as anybody else yeah. right now. Just going going through every single day, wondering, all right, the draft is in how many days, and free agency is two days after that, and trades are two days before that. So, I'm 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 horribly rested and wide awake at the same time.
0: I feel like your lack of sleep is only going to get worse. I feel like starting next week with the draft and free agency, it's all. Uh, combining in the one it is really crazy but before we get to what the wizards might do with pick number nine just give us a state of what the wizards uh, where they're at right now heading into I guess this off season as you would say
1: (laughs) yeah so they're in a little bit of a funky position because they're in a spot where they were 25 and 47 last year but they're genuinely trying to compete in the upcoming season because they just had John Wall out for what's going on two years and he's going to be back for the start of training camp so they believe with the return of John Wall pairing them with Bradley Beal, they're going to have a competitive team that's going to be able to push for a playoff spot, and they're going to try to complement those guys to make that happen, especially because Bradley Beal has only two years remaining on his contract. So uh, they they were really, really poor defensively last year, 29th in points allowed per possession. That is their number one objective to improve upon this offseason. They'd like to re-sign Davis Bertons, who's their top free agent, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking they... They are more likely than not to resign him, uh, but ultimately they want a rim protector. They want to bring in a wing who can defend, and and they they want to ratchet up the stinginess, which they really struggled with last year.
0: Yeah. Are, are those things what they want? Are they going to try to cover that in the draft with pick number nine? Where are they kind of thinking as far as, you know, the whole debate of best available or position of need? Which route will they take maybe with pick number nine?
1: I think they're going to take best available. I mean, that's what, that's what their general manager, Tommy Shepard has, has has said on the record that they're going to go with best available. So I, I think that's the route they're probably going to go. And to be honest in this draft and in that range, I, I think you can argue that, you know, depending on who's there, best available and who ends up having the best career could be pretty similar guys, you know, Fanyaka Okongwu is there. I think you can argue he could be the best available and project the best career. If you really like Isaac Okoro, I think you could think the same thing. If you just really think highly of just a guy like Devin Vassell, where you're like, we think he is really safe and we know this guy is going to be a good NBA player, same kind of thing. So there aren't that many, like, you know, maybe precious Achua who I I do think they like, maybe that guy is a little bit more of, you know, kind of uh, a little bit more, takes a little more development. With him, But for the most part, I, I just think with this specific draft class, uh, there's a lot of overlap between those two concepts.
0: You wrote recently um, for The Athletic about the potential of trading back, or maybe you believe that they could do that, or maybe they should. Why, why do you think they might make that move and trade back in the draft?
1: I, I think they're flexible. There's not that much that they could do that would shock me. Um, I think I'd be the most surprised if they ended up trading up. Just because even though there are rumblings, like there are other reporters who have reported they're trying to trade up Kevin O'Connor from the ringer, who obviously does a great job. Uh, he reported that they were trying to trade up, but you go through the potential options. And it's like, I don't really see a way, like I don't see a deal that makes sense. And I see deals trading back that make sense. Uh, you know, Boston has those three picks and Boston does not have a roster where they're going to welcome three young guys they have 14 26 and 30 and boston doesn't have a roster where they're just going to willingly take on three first round picks especially at 26 and 30 that team is trying to contend has a pretty full roster already and it could make more use of those picks by flipping it into something else maybe somebody who if there's someone they really like at number nine and that article you reference i specifically talk about maybe seeing if you can flip nine for 14 26 and 30 um that all being said that's kind of written under the guise of, eh, if there's not somebody there who you absolutely love. If you love Anyeka Okongwu and he's there at number nine, hey, uh, if you're underwhelmed with the choices, then maybe you see if you can trade back for a team that has two picks. Or maybe you see if you can slide to 17 and get something from Minnesota along with 17 to get Minnesota to go up or, or a number of other deals that I think could be plausible. Um, even if you drop back just like a couple of spots, if San Antonio feels anxious about getting somebody at nine or something. So I think there are going to see a lot of kicks. Uh, so I, I, it could be active, and it wouldn't shock me if the Wizards were one of the reasons for that.
2: Fred, you mentioned how Washington was 29th in defensive efficiency last season. And I think really that's one of the things that the Pelicans and the Wizards have in common is they're both – young teams. And one of the big objectives of this offseason is figuring out a way to get a lot better on the defensive end of the floor. Coincidentally, I was just on a Zoom call earlier earlier this morning with that you were also on where you asked uh, Precious Achua about his defensive play. Is that been something that you've been trying to find out from all of these potential picks that the Wizards might um, might be able to add or be interested in? And do, do you think that that's something that they can at least Partly addressed from in the draft.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the concept of addressing it in the draft is really is is really interesting because for the most part, rookies are not good at defense. Yeah. Even rookies who turn into all defensive caliber players, like go look at Bam Adebayo's rookie or defense. And that's the guy who everybody wants to compare mm-hmm. all these big man prospects to now, right? Like that's yep. like a is a guy who's switchy and capable of guarding multiple positions. So could he He'd be the next Bam. Okongwu is switchy and long and big and able to guard multiple positions, so he gets the Bam comps all the time.
3: It's mm-hmm. like,
1: you know what? If he were Bam, he'd be the number one pick. <laughs> let's, let's, let's calm down on these just because a guy is switchy and makes him Bam. Uh, but go back. I think the same thing about Abayo's defense is everybody else. Go back and look at his rookie year defense. It's not like it was awful but he wasn't close to an all defensive caliber player because sure. rookies just don't tend to be good at defense. They're still adjusting to the speed of the game. They're adjusting to the strength and the speed of the athletes. And not only that, but they're learning an entire league of personnel. You know, I asked Precious Achua, you mentioned on that, on that Zoom that we were both on, I, I asked him about his preparation process. And the reason why I'm curious about that is because let's say hypothetically the wizards take him or somebody else takes him and he's got to play actual minutes. He's learning a whole new league of personnel. And I'm curious to know how he might go about that. What's his preparation style. Different people have different ways. Uh, And that's a major part of defense. That's part of why experience is important. Okay. I know this guy is really good at doing this thing. I'm really bad at doing this thing. So I'm going to guard him in this specific way to accentuate that, you know, Uh, and rookies just don't have that institutional knowledge. They don't have that stuff that's built up from experience. So I think it's really hard to address that in the draft, especially with a big man who has to communicate a lot and make a lot of decisions in a very quick manner. I think it's really hard to address that stuff in the draft. I think you're, if you do, it's not, it's great. It's not impossible. We've seen rookies who are good. Last year we saw Matisse Theibel was really good defensively. Lou Dort was really good defensively. And the Thunder relied on him like crazy in the playoffs too against James Harden and the Rockets. Uh, But you don't want to bank on that as like solving your defense. I think you're more likely to use the mid-level exception on a defensive-minded center and then maybe be able to trade for or use the biannual exception maybe on a wing or something like that. And, And that might help you in the aggregate defensively more than relying on the number nine pick
2: before i go back to daniel um big picture wise for the wizards i know everyone justifiably and understandably focuses on bradley beal and john wall obviously returning from a long hiatus of playing but where do where are the the wizards right now on some of the other younger guys that they've either drafted or acquired over the last couple years um thomas bryant troy brown it seems like they also need those guys to keep making steps forward to, to keep improving their position for the future.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, this team is 25 and 47. (laughs) John wall could be, he's coming. hasn't played in two years. He's coming back from bone spurs in his heel and a torn Achilles. Even if wall is as good as he was at his height, like 16, 17, that was the one time he made all NBA. He -hmm. was tremendous that season. Let's say he's as good as that. Is that, with no other improvements, is that going to take you from 25 and 47 to enough to just be an eight seed completely on its own? I don't even know if it is. The Eastern Conference is much better than people give it credit for. There are seven teams that have a chance to win 50 games in the East. That might only be... You're in a position with the Wizards where you've got to improve elsewhere. And we've talked about external improvements, going out and signing someone, drafting, that kind of stuff. But you're 100% right. They need internal improvements. I mean, Troy Brown looked a lot better in the bubble They because they were missing Wall and Beal and Bertons in those eight bubble games. And so they kind of had to hand over the offense to Troy Brown, who I thought did a really good job for a 21-year-old who has never really full-time played point guard in the NBA. And, you know, he's 6'7 and and, and big and and still struggles guarding point guards. So I don't know if he's like a full-time guy there, but good combo guard, looked a lot more patient running pick and rolls, really controlled, and the speed of the game wasn't getting rattled. He looked a lot better. You could tell he made developments in his pacing, and his cadence running an offense, which was a big deal. Thomas Bryant looked better in the bubble defensively. Not not perfect. He has a long way to go defensively, but there were positive progressions. They they're essentially waiting on really Hachimura. They organizationally are very high on Hachimura and he stalled in the bubble, but when they drafted him, even though he's already 22 years old after concluding his rookie season, one of the reasons that they were as high as him, on him as they were and still are is because he didn't start playing basketball until he was a teenager. And so they kind of assume he's earlier in his improvement arc than your average 22 year old, kind of similar to like Pascal Siakam who didn't start playing till late. And then all of a sudden he wins most improved player at like 25 years old. And I think they're assuming, I don't know if they're assuming that exact improvement arc because Siakam is an all NBA caliber player, but they're assuming a similar sort of trend where Hachimura all of a sudden is going to make a huge leap. We haven't seen that yet, uh, but they haven't backed off of that logic. They, they believe that Rui Hachimura is going to get a lot better on both sides of the floor, that he's going to improve his shot, his decision-making and his defense to become a, a really good, helpful player. And if they're right on that, that's, that's, that's big. Uh, so that's, that's for sure. Something I'll be looking for going into next year as well.
0: Good stuff. That's Fred Katz, who covers the Washington Wizards for the athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Fred Katz, K A T Z. Fred, I appreciate the time. Try to get some rest between now and next Wednesday, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Before we get to Dwayne Rankin and pick number 10, which is the Phoenix Suns, Jim, you know, it was interesting when we were talking to Fred Katz there. You know, we've been going through these teams. This is a 19 that we've talked to um, leading up to the draft, that this is the first one that really prioritized defense could be part of the equation of where they pick or why they pick or where they even trade back. And I thought that was really interesting considering what he said is, you know, most players are, Rose Sorkeys are not really good at defense, but that might be the approach for Washington that was 29th last year.
2: Yeah. You know, honestly, I think one of the big reasons why we got to this point and now we have him specifically focusing on that is to be brutally honest, just how, how horrible the wizards were defensively. I mean, they were just historically bad for a lot of the season Cleveland actually somehow finished worse than them in the defensive rankings. And honestly, we're not ones to talk, so to speak, because New Orleans was not great either. And they had um, at the end of the season, they had some of their bigger breakdowns in the bubble, as far as just outings that were just ones that you wanted to completely forget. Um, So, but I think that's really what it comes down to for Washington is that they know specifically that they, even to a greater extent than New Orleans, that that's something that they have to address because they can be as good as they want to be offensively. And they're still going to lose games if they don't get better on the defensive end. They had a game against Houston at last November. I think it was October, November at the near the beginning of the season where they lost like 156 to 154 something, something like that. I'm, yeah, I yeah, remember, remember that. that game. I don't remember the exact score, but it was something like that. And I mean, when, when games like that happen where you're you're scoring like crazy and you still lose, it's pretty. It's pretty evident of of where you need to make progress. So, but he's right as far as um, it's a lot to ask of a rookie to come in and immediately make an impact on the defensive end. There's so much for them to learn. And as we talked about in a previous podcast, of all the seasons where um, you want to have time to work on defensive concepts in your system, this is not the one. So that'll that adds another wrinkle and element to that as far as how difficult it will be to say, okay, we're putting this rookie in the lineup and we're expecting him to help us defensively. Yeah, Antonio
0: Daniels mentioned that in our podcast yesterday about the biggest adjustments are going to be free agents and also rookies because there's not a lot of time for them to, to get themselves together and get ready to go. Um, also, you know, some of it was kind of hard to hear with the internet connection. We apologize for that. But before, there is one more question that really stuck out to me um, when he mentioned Rui Hachimura. It kind of made me think about Jackson Hayes from the perspective yeah. of not playing a ton of basketball before getting drafted. I think he played one year in high school and then the one year in Texas. I feel like that's a good comparison considering the age though. Jackson is just 20 years old, that that could be the piece for the Pelicans that just needs that one extra year to take a big leap. Uh, but once he gets there, could be a really enticing player.
2: Yeah. I thought the exact same thing uh, that he's a great example. He's the best example on the Pelicans roster of a guy who didn't focus on basketball until later in high school. I remember he joked about this one time that I think, he loved playing football and his dad is a football coach. So obviously the background is there, but he was joking at one point that he, he, and laughing about this, that I think at a certain point when he got to be six nine six ten, he realized that maybe running over the middle and catching passes, isn't the safest pursuit for somebody that has that kind of set center of gravity. So, but yeah, he's a, he's a guy that we definitely are looking forward to seeing what kind of progress he makes this year. And it, but it's also not about just this year that as uh, Fred referenced, I mean, some of these guys, uh, he mentioned Siakam, at age 24, 25, they're still getting better. So I think that's another thing with Jackson Hayes. I think he's 20 or 21 now. So he still has a bunch of years now to keep getting better. And sometimes that that learning curve for Biggs is even, is even longer just because of some of the things that they have to learn in some of the aspects of the game, including the physicalness of it for Jackson where he's going to keep putting on weight. And as we see with, with a lot of people, including – sometimes us in real life, when, as you get into your, as you keep getting into your twenties and thirties, some of that weight naturally comes on to your body, which is good for someone for like Jackson Hayes, but isn't necessarily great for the average human.
0: No, and this pandemic has certainly not helped that cause uh, when it's been <laughs> limited to be able to go to the gym and whatever you eat just immediately. Uh, yeah. Definitely don't want to go down that road. That's for sure. But uh, yeah, very interesting to, to hear what Fred Katz had to say about the Washington wizards. Let's move to the West Coast and go to pick number 10. And joining us right now is Dwayne Rankin, who covers the Phoenix Suns for the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Dwayne, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How y'all doing? Uh, I'm good. And, and Dwayne, the, the Phoenix Suns are very interesting at pick number 10, especially with how they did in the bubble um, in July and August going eight and no. How much momentum is there within this organization, not only from you know the players, the coaches, the staff, but even the fans on how well they did in the bubble, despite not making the playoffs?
3: Oh, they're, they're now talking playoffs. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so that's how that's how excited uh, the fan base is. You know, that gave them some light, some hope, uh, some belief that they're turning the corner. Uh, Monty Williams, obviously, I've, I've been saying all along, he was the best thing they did last summer. And he continues to be the best thing they've done <laughs> since they hired the guy. And uh, he found a way to make it work. So the, the optimism is very high. Uh, for the Phoenix Suns after that A.O. run.
0: Yeah, we certainly know what Monty Williams is capable of doing down here in New Orleans. But let's go to the uh, – before we get to the gym, pick number 10 for the Phoenix Suns. Very interesting. You know, you have some, some young pieces there. Um, of course, everything is based around Devin Booker. But what are you hearing about pick number 10 with them? Is there a certain position that they're maybe going after? Are they one of those teams that will say best available? Or maybe are they shopping the pick to maybe move up or move back in the draft?
3: All those things are on the table. Uh, James Jones has shown that he'll trade within the draft so you could easily see him picking something and then moving that pick up or down Uh, I could see that happening I think that one of the 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 big thing is shooting that's what they're looking for Uh, that's what they've been scouting guys that can steal that can shoot it so that can leave more space for Devin and and Ricky to be able to get into the lane and kick out and create so if you can shoot it they're on your radar. I mean, if I'm looking at them, you know, the, the question is, okay, if you, if you get the point guard, which is always something with Phoenix, he's talking about getting the point guard. If you get the point guard, you're basically saying, okay, within two years, this is going to be our guy, uh, you know, to replace, replace Rubio, uh, you know, at that, at that spot. If you go out and get a power forward, uh, that, that seems to be not readily available in the draft. Like a high number of those kind of guys, uh, as compared to maybe the point guard, point guard position. So you look at those things, and if they can get the, the the power forward in free agency, and then focus on getting the point guard or someone overall that can just flat out shoot it. If you a wing player, uh, you know that three man that they can bring in and, and be able to, to 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 knock it down from outside, have the athleticism, the guard on the other end. Those are the kind of guys. that's what they're looking for uh, in, in that draft size, limb and can shoot it.
2: Dwayne, we obviously know Monty Williams very well. He was here for five years. I was here throughout that entire time. You mentioned how critical he was to the improvement of the team and the optimism that you now have in Phoenix for the future of the Suns. What do you think were some of the, the ways that he in, in improved the competitiveness of that team
3: in his first year? Well, the first thing was he got guys to buy into a very difficult style of play in terms of, I mean, it's, it's fun. You know, it's point five, move the ball. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not rocket science because people do it, but you know, there's, there's a, there's a sacrifice that goes with that. And then defensively just making guys guard people. And, you know, you got him Mikhail bridges who that's what he does. But these other guys, it's like, Whoa, <laughs> you won't make me, you know, dig in. And that was the big thing. You know, he, he got to get them to buy in from the jump. When Devin Booker basically comes to you, the first time he talks to you and says, Hey, look, whatever you need me to do, coach, I'm doing. Whatever you want from me, I'm 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 down. That was huge. And 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 for him to get that right away speaks to the kind of person that he is. And then from there it just evolved. You guys you know if if the best player buys in the rest typically follow. And the Monty and Devon had that initial connection and build on that, I think that was huge.
2: Last thing for me, before I go back to Daniel, um, you mentioned how they're talking playoffs now in Phoenix, and that's something that's part of the conversation. I know yeah. they've had a pretty long drought. Um, do you think they're going to go into the season basically saying that they need to make the playoffs for, it to be, for them to be content with how the year went? And it's interesting as well, just with the Western conferences, it seems like it's going to be, brutal again this year. I know we'll, we'll probably get into this later down the road in the coming weeks, but there's talk about how expanding the play-in right. format as well. I mean, so I, I guess, what, how, what's your perspective on, on um, that goal of making the playoffs this year? For I, mean, it, it, it's,
3: it, it's <laughs> I mean, it's it's tough. The teams that didn't make it uh, are the ones that that I'm looking at. You know, New Orleans, San Antonio, Sacramento, It's like, and then the ones that barely got in Portland, of course, Memphis didn't make it. You got Portland, Uh, Dallas was a seventh seed. Like, how are you just cracking that just, okay, we want to make the playoffs now. So I think it's a tall order. I I think the talent, uh, you know, they still need to upgrade the roster uh, to really get in that conversation. But because of how they played in that bubble, that's got people here just like oh they should be able to just bottle that up and just move into a game forgetting that they were 26 and 39 before they went in the bubble so there's a lot of optimism but you know you know reality hopefully is setting in with with, with some of the fan base but it, it's hard to tell them that that's not going to happen that the playoff is not going to happen next year this couple because upcoming season so before I let you go, then, what is that missing piece? What
0: what what would put them over the top to maybe potentially be a contender this year to get into that eighth spot or, or seventh seven spot? Is it a, a veteran, you know, leader? Whether it's a whether whatever position it is, or is it just a couple key young guys, maybe draft pick or a free agent pickup that can kind of put them over the top?
3: I think you have to get a more athletic four. I understand Dario can play like he's a scrapper. Uh, he he does a lot of good stuff but you need somebody more athletic for that can guard on that end because that became a problem when he had to guard more athletic people. He competed, but you know it became an issue in terms of him being able to defend that position. Another shooter uh, would help, again, point guard. It's what the stuff that's out there now with the Chris Paul and, and, and all this stuff, it's like they still don't have a handle on this position. It's like the most important position in basketball, and you're still like, okay, well, yeah, let's talk to Chris. Well, we pay Ricky this much. Uh, You know, we're looking at a point. I mean, so that's gotta get sold up. I mean, if you can't establish that point guard, I mean, that's that's just vital. Don't care how great Devin Booker is. Uh, you know, you need that, that that point guard. So shooting would help me, and all, you always need shooters. But I'm thinking after more athletic four. Set your mind up on the point guard position, and if you can get a shooter out there that can that can also just you throw it to him, he can knock it down. They've got guys that can make threes, but Cam Johnson is probably the only guy that's just a throw it and he just and you you're thinking every time it's going in other than Devin. You're thinking every time it's going in, they need another one like that. And if they can somehow find a way to add those three pieces, uh, you know, to them, hey, you know, they'll they'll be right there. For for a eighth spot, not (laughs) top four, no, not, you know, for the eighth spot, that play-in you're talking about, yeah, for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, Cam Johnson was definitely one of the more intriguing pieces last year for the team. And the way he shoots a three, it was unbelievable. And he was fun to watch, that's for sure. But man, buckle up. This next week is going to be wild between the draft, free agency, the, the trade the trade rumor mill that's already going around on right. Twitter. Um, it's certainly going to be fun. Dwayne Rankin, who covers the Phoenix Suns for the Arizona Republic, azcentral.com. Dwayne, we appreciate it and enjoy enjoy what's about to happen this next week.
3: I, I, I'll try. I'll try. That <laughs> should be fun, no doubt, no doubt.
0: Yeah. All right, that was Dwayne Rankin again, covers the Phoenix Suns for the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Jim, you know, we're going to have this talk throughout the entire season how fascinating the Western Conference is going to be when you add teams like Phoenix Suns, the Sacramento Kings, Pelicans, the Grizzlies, the Spurs. I mean, look at the Warriors who didn't make the playoffs will most likely be a playoff contender once again with all of their main guys healthy. It's just crazy that there are not 15 spots available in the Western Conference to make it to the playoffs. There's only eight as of now that could change with the potential playing, but there's a lot of teams that have that hope that they're going to be the ones that get over the hump and make it into the playoffs next season.
2: Yeah. It's funny. If you think back to last season that of the teams that they invited to the bubble, which was 22 total, 13 of them were in the West. So really there were only two teams in the West and one of them, like you just mentioned, was golden state who not only is thinking about getting back in the playoffs, but contending right. for, for the whole thing this year. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see a situation where almost no one is going into the season saying, you know, we, we probably won't make the playoffs. It seems like across the board, everyone has that in mind. And although I know nothing has been finalized in terms of the plan for this year in the play in format, I think, everyone there's very few things that everyone agrees on, but I think everyone in the NBA would agree that the play-in idea last year was such a huge success and people loved watching that Memphis versus Portland. I know it it turned out to be just one game because Portland ended up, ended up winning that, that uh, first game against um, the Grizzlies. But man, can you imagine a race where, you know, say it goes to the nine and 10 place teams get into play play in uh, format this year just the race for that. There's going to be so many teams that I think will vie for those couple spots. And I think if anything, if there was ever a year to institute a play go into a season with the play in format, which obviously we didn't have going into last season, it's this year in the Western conference, because I mean, there's probably 13 or 14 teams that are all going to think maybe, maybe 15 that are going to say, we have a chance to compete for um, finishing in somewhere in the top 10. So I think it's going to just be a lot of fun, and the the timing couldn't be any better. Maybe not in the East, but definitely in the the West this season. The Scoreboard watching is going to be
0: ridiculous in the Western Conference, starting with day one and going all the way to game seventy-two. And again, um, you talked about it. Nothing is finalized. It's kind of the theme of these next couple of weeks that nothing really is finalized. Schedule, um, you know, training camp, preseason games, none of that. So I think once the Pelicans get their schedule, then you can kind of map out um, their road to get. Into the Western Conference playoffs just based on how many teams you are playing in the East. Remember, they're eliminating 10 games from the schedule, only 72. And with COVID going on, are you eliminating a lot of your trips up or up to the Northeast? Are you staying, you know, with your division a lot more this year? That's I think what's going to be fascinating. And, you know, the the Southwest division is never an easy division when you have Memphis. You don't know what Houston's going to look like based on some of the rumors you're seeing. Dallas is a team on the rise, and the Spurs, you can never count them out. Uh, No matter what. So I think that's the big thing, Jim, is if you're playing these teams more than four times, uh, that could be a tough road for the Pelicans compared to some of the other teams in different divisions.
2: Yeah, I think there's two sides to that. I mean, the the negative, I guess, from a Pelicans perspective or some of these teams that are coming off a a season where they didn't make the playoffs is if you play more conference games this year, it's only going to be tougher. I mean, it's not there's hardly going to be any games where you go into it saying like, oh, this should be a win because if you're playing either all Western conference games or the vast majority, I mean, there's no easy nights, if that's the case Um, on the, on the other side of it though, I think from a fan standpoint in terms of the competitiveness, the rivalries, how much it could speed up New Orleans maturity with all the young players they have to me, that would help to be able to say it's a situation where you're playing teams in your division six or eight times with some of the competition that we have to face with Dallas in Memphis and Houston and San Antonio, to me, that would only speed up you know, your readiness as far as being able to compete maybe in the playoffs this year or at some point in the near future. So I kind of see it both ways. I mean, there's no doubt though that the, the, the challenge that you have of playing in the West has been fierce for a long time. If you add in the element of a larger percentage of your games are against the West this season, it only takes it to another level in terms of how difficult it's going to be but in some ways I welcome that because I think it, it, it will help in some of the ways that I that I just mentioned
0: the phrase right now is we shall see and that's going to be the case here for the next couple of weeks but very intriguing how the season could play out for a lot of teams in the Western Conference uh, let's go over the schedule for the rest of our podcast this week and leading up to the draft next week uh, we promise you I know some people are probably wondering why are we going through all these teams and not the Pelicans, but I feel like it is really important for, you know, especially now that the Pelicans hold pick number 13, again, there's so many mock drafts there's so many potential trades that can happen um, leading up to the Pelicans at 13 that you really just don't know what these teams are looking for. And I feel like this will give you all a chance to kind of get an idea of once these teams are on the clock, you've heard from us, at least in our guests that, okay, this team might be looking for this, or they might trade it away or this. So hopefully this has helped you all out, get ready for the draft. And we'll wrap things up on Monday with our draft previews we'll talk about the san antonio spurs and the sacramento pink kings excuse me picks 11 and 12 but we do have a special treat for you tomorrow on the podcast scheduled to come on as of now is jameer nelson former pelicans point guard had a cup of coffee with the team a couple of years ago uh played under stan van gundy in orlando so this is more of a getting to know stan van gundy through jameer nelson so we're, we're definitely looking forward to that and be on the lookout next week tuesday for a draft preview and then the draft on Wednesday. We'll go over all of that come next week. But we will talk to you tomorrow with Jameer Nelson. For Fred Katz, Dwayne Rankin, and Jim Eikonoff, Or I'm Daniel Salerson Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by Seeky.